We're going to continue our series on worship, and um, the passage from which we will study today is John chapter 4, the Gospel of John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus is speaking, and he's having a conversation with a woman at a well. The title of this message is Worshippers, Whom God Seeks. John 4, verse 23 and 24. Jesus is speaking, and he says, But an hour is coming, and now is, when true, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Verse 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Lord, help us as we study. Let me give you a definition of worship. Very concise. The complete and voluntary capture of one's attention toward an object or a person. The complete and voluntary capture of one's attention toward an object or person. Now that is a definition of worship it goes beyond the biblical definition because there are people who don't worship biblically they worship stuff they worship careers they worship money they worship an idea of who they can be and so they give themselves all their time and attention to that thing those who worship careers don't do it like people who did when they had little idols that we call idolatry when they would bow down to them and offer they do it conceptually and with their actions so when a person worships their career it's not like they get up in the morning and have a devotion toward their job but they just decide to spend 90 hours a week serving slaving giving up all the time to their employment that they should be giving to their wife and children I'm not talking about the necessity of bringing bringing the the bacon home I'm talking about the voluntary giving of some person to that so that they can have that career make them somebody they are not yet. Oh, if you, if your career will get me at a senior VP level by the time I'm 35, I will serve you 90 hours a week. I won't go to my kids' soccer games on weekends. I'll deprive my wife and I of our date night. We won't go away once a Oh, every six months on a vacation. I'll give up my vacation time. Just career if you will give me what I want. Oh, dollar. Mighty, mighty dollar. Please fill my bank account and I will serve you all the days of my life. If you'll help me obtain that Maybach I want, I promise you I'll do anything for you. If you'll get me all the, the, the accentuations that I need, the accents to my personal life, not just a home in the suburb, but I need a second one down in Florida. I'd like a third one on the Riviera in France, please. Oh, dollar, I will serve you. I promise you, I will serve you with all my days. Oh, image, I want to be a certain person, so I'm not that yet. I, I'll spend 25 hours a week in the gym. And I will go through every cosmetic procedure possible. Now, let me say, I'm not against surgery. I don't have any biblical reason why somebody doesn't, shouldn't get cosmetic surgery. None. None. But if you are trusting in that thing to make you what you are not yet, 
There's not enough surgery to do that. Amen. Doesn't exist. But, like the woman said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. <laughs> she was trying to describe her justification for makeup. She said, I ain't got no issue with that. If the barn needs painting, paint it. Paint it. If the house needs fixing, fix it. But if you are trusting in either makeup, dress, attire, gentlemen, anything other than God to form your personality and who you are, there's not enough surgery or makeup to do that. Amen. So people worship stuff that's not God. And so worship has a broader definition than that, which is just biblical. But the biblical definition is to give everything that I just said with respect to the definition of worship, all of your attention to God. Everything. It's not defined by what you do on a Sunday morning. Sunday morning is a part of it, but that is not the definition of what worship is. So I'd like to talk to you about four things with respect to worship today. One, your language of worship. Two, the location of worship. Three, the limitations of worship. And four, are you a latent worshiper? One. The language of worship. When people say, I am going to worship, what do they mean? Better, better said, when you say, I am going to worship, what do you mean? Do you use the word worship there as a noun or a verb? Do you remember what those two things were? <laughs> you know how grammar, noun, person, place, thing, verb, action... Is worship a noun or a verb? Now, I don't mind if you use it as a noun because you're describing some place you are going where worship happens, where there's an experience, where people orchestrate a time period where there is orderly expression to God and a people group can hear something all at the same time. Don't mind that. that that's entirely proper. But if it is your only definition of worship, you're missing out on something. Because worship is also a verb. So when you say, I am going to worship, are you only saying, I'm going to where folks do that? Or are you saying, I'm going to participate with people who do that? Are you saying, I got a job to do. It's called worship. And I'm going to do it. Not going in future. I am going on my way, driving my car so I can participate actively in worship. It is a verb. And as such, needs to be employed in your life whereby people can see you are actually doing something. That it looks like you're doing something other than what you would normally do when people don't worship. Did you understand the double negatives there? Is there anything about your life in terms of defining worship, whereby nobody around you, when they see you doing that thing called worship, can define it as anything else but? Or can it be confused with a lot of different stuff? Thinking about what you're going to do next week, going on vacation, trying to figure out how to balance your checkbook, going through all the problems in your own mind. Is there anything that is so demonstrable about your life that nobody could say anything other than, wow, they're worshiping? Worship ought to be that which captivates your life to such a degree that everybody who is most close to you, your coworkers, your friends, your spouse, your kids, are able to say they have 
a lifestyle of worship. It's not just an hour a week. It's the way they live. They love their God so much that all they do is express themselves to him in a relevant way, not a weird way. I'm not talking about going into Walmart shouting hallelujah. Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. That's just strange. But I am talking about living in such a way that your integrity and the power of your life and you being able to experience God even in your most difficult moments is so evident to everybody else that they cannot but say, God is with you. And you are with him. What's your language of worship like? Secondly, Jesus here in this passage is trying to, to help people understand that location is not the primary determiner of how people can worship with respect to accuracy. Jesus is speaking with a woman who is of Samaritan origin. And the Samaritans were a a syncretism of people groups. They were the northern tribe of Israel. There were two kingdoms in Israel. During the time of the kings, there was a southern kingdom called Judah, a northern kingdom called Israel. And they had two separate governments. The northern kingdom was invaded by Assyria in 722 B.C. Assyria beat them. Assyria then took most of the people in Israel and dispersed them to the four corners of the earth. They left a remnant there to to cultivate the land and to make sure that the wild beasts just didn't take over. And they also repopulated it with its own people. So Assyria brought in Assyrians to help with taxes and productivity in the land so that Assyria, the nation, could receive benefit from the land of Israel. The people left from Israel and the Assyrians commingled, married, had babies, and they also commingled the religions. So you had this group of people that weren't all Jewish and weren't all Assyrian, and they were called Samaritans, primarily because the capital of Israel was known as Samaria. And so people from there were then called by that location. But they weren't all Jewish. And so this woman then has a conversation with Christ. Jesus shows up at this well. This woman shows up to draw water. He begins to discuss life with her. He evidences the fact that he's a prophet by just reading her mail. And she says, wow, you're amazing. Let me ask you a religious question. Should we worship here? Because that's what our forefathers say. Or like you Jews say, should we worship in Jerusalem? Where is the most accurate place to do worship? Jesus said, well, neither Jerusalem nor here is really the issue. But you've got to worship in spirit and in truth for such kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. Now, we human beings find it very difficult to find God. In the Old Testament, you remember last week I referenced the fact that there were were revelations of God on the earth. And when people were able to, to, to tangibly feel the presence or see God come on the planet, they thought that that spot where they were living or that spot where they were dwelling at the moment happened to be a portal on the earth whereby God would come through. And that was a doorway. And so that spot became holy. That place on the planet became something other. And so they would usually rename it after their encounter. Jacob, when he saw the ladder and the angels climbing up and down on it, he said, ah, this can be none other than Bethel, which means the house of God. And I didn't even know it. 
And so he, he named that place Bethel, house of God, because he thought this is the spot where God shows up. And when he came back from his sojourning with Laban up in the area of Aram, he went straight to Bethel because he wanted to make sure he was at the spot where God showed up because he thought that's where God lived on the planet. There are many, many uh, circumstances and evidences of Old Testament saints actually believing that God revealed himself in a specific spot. So it wasn't unusual for this woman to say, which spot should we worship at? And Jesus said, it's not about the spot anymore. It's not it. Those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. For such worshipers, the Father seeks. Now this is beautiful. You got to get this. It's no longer so important that you try to find where God is on the planet in order to worship him accurately. That he shows up in a particular spot and revival's breaking out and folks are getting healed. We have these little pockets of God doing marvelous things all around the world. And they happen. Revivals. Not just revivals that people put up on a marquee for a week. I'm talking about where God really is doing marvelous things for an extended period of time. And folks are being transformed. The communities are being changed. It's an amazing thing. And people flock to that spot because they believe God is there. It's not that he's not there. But that is not the focus that Christians need to have with respect to finding God. What we need to do is this. We need to worship him in spirit and truth. And hear me. It says that because God is the one who seeks after those folks, he'll find you. He will find you. You worship him with accuracy and spirit and truth. God will show up in your house. He'll show up in your workplace. He'll show up at the soccer field. You worship him with accuracy and spirit and truth. You won't have to go to Redding, California. You won't have to go to Africa to try to find him. He will find you and show up in your circumstances and show up wherever you find yourself. And our job should be this. Not just trying to figure out where he is. Worshiping him so accurately that we make his search short. If he is trying to figure out where he can find folk who will worship him well, you need to be like Horshack. Come on, 50-year-olds. Horshack. Welcome back, Connor. 20-somethings, Google it. Remember Horshack? Connor was a teacher. That's where John Trafalda got his big start. Connor was a teacher. And any time he asked a question in class, Horshack would do this. Ow, 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 Make a nuisance of himself so that he would not be overlooked. He made Cotter's search short for who had the answer. What's your worship like? What's it look like? Is God still, does he... Does he, figuratively speaking, overlook you? Are you like 40th on the list? And we wonder why we don't sense his presence on a regular basis. Oh, it's not that he's not with you. He cares about you. He loves you theologically. He will abide with you forever if you're born again. That's not the issue. The issue is, can you know he is there? Do you understand him tangibly to be in your presence? Is there calm in your life when storm is going all around you? Because you realize I'm with him and he's with me. 
Can you smile when you have sorrow and, 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 and depression seems to hover around you like a cloud? Can you find the joy of the Lord because he happens to be there with you? That's what we're speaking of. Why? Because when you worship, he finds you. Such people. The Father is seeking. You don't have to go all over the world. Just worship right. Like a magnet. Like a magnet. He will show up. Location is not the issue. You're the issue. Thirdly, the limitations. There are limitations on our worship. Um, there's a way God wishes to be worshipped. We just can't worship however we want to worship. Just, just can't do it. Just. The goal of worship is to please the object of our affection. That's the goal of worship. To bring pleasure and honor to the object of our affection. So, generally speaking, it, it would be good for you to figure out how to do that. My first Valentine's Day, second Valentine's Day, yeah, I got Cynthia vacuum cleaner. Yeah, I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I was 26 years old. You remember, dear? You remember? 26 years old. She was so sweet. She just said, thank you, and I love you. Amazing woman, just amazing. But I did that. For a couple of reasons, I justified it. One, we needed a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> and I didn't have a whole lot of money, so I thought I'd bless her with something that made her life easier. All kind of stupid rationalization. Stupid being the operative word, because that's what I was. Ignorant, fearful, and stupid. Now, if I had simply asked her what she desired, it would have been real easy for me to get it. Really, at least I wouldn't have gotten the wrong thing. Amen. <laughs> and, and, and ladies, hear me. I, I realize even when we ask, sometimes you don't want to tell because the general sense is, you ought to know. You ought to know. But, but if you want to stop being disappointed. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> just, just, we're stupid. We're ignorant. We don't know. We really don't know. And if we ever hit the mark, it's by accident. Now, there is, that, there is that guy who really figures it out. He just knows. But you're not married to him. No. You're married to us. <laughs> so help yourselves out by telling us. Don't come back with what you ought to know. No. Don't. We don't know how to worship right. We don't know. Sin has messed us up so much. We don't know. So whatever you're doing that is not prescribed by Scripture is missing the mark. So just like that significant other, it might be a good idea to ask. 
God, how would you like to be worshipped? And then let him tell you through his Bible. I came into a setting like this in 1981. Much smaller. Storefront, 25 people. A guy with a guitar up there playing country music. Back then it was country western, which was worse. <laughs> a whole bunch of, a whole bunch. 25 folks lifting their hands. I was the 26th who didn't do any of that. Just enraptured. Closing their eyes, swaying to the music, speaking in all kinds of languages. And I wanted out of there as soon as I could. I thought these people were crazy. Nuts. What were they doing? Who were they talking to? And why was I there? <laughs> but I wanted to be sensitive to the person who brought me. And I couldn't be impolite by just walking out. And so I had to sit in a two-hour service. Very uncomfortable. This was not the way I, I did God at all, at all. And, 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 and <clears throat> I walked out of there just very anxious and a sleepless night and whew, not feeling good at all. I say that to let you know everything that I'm about to describe to you and the culture that we have developed as a people has nothing to do with how Brett came out naturally. It has to do with how Brett disciplined himself to say, I'm going to ask this time rather than bringing you a vacuum cleaner, God. I'm going to ask. Amen. I'm going to ask. And I began to study this Bible. And he began to show me how he wished to be worshipped, how I could love him best. First of all, he said that those who worship me must worship me in spirit. And the word spirit there is pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, pneuma. It's Greek for breath. And we need to worship him with our breath. Now, synonymously, breath and life were the same thing for the Greek and the Hebrew. If you didn't have breath you didn't have life. If you had breath, you had life. So we are to worship him with the breath of our life. All that we are, our entire life is to be involved in worship of him. Secondly, we are to worship him in truth. Truth that we find in the Bible. That's where truth is found. And we, we are, we, as we study, we are informed about how to worship accurately by others who have done it before us, that knew God better than us. And so there are many, many descriptive terms and explanations about how to worship God well. And I'm just going to give you a, a scratch and sniff today, just a thumbnail sketch over, over a few concepts that are demonstrably presented in what we do as a people here to give you some idea about why we do what we do. First of all, we need to worship in truth with respect to integrity. Integrity needs to be a part of, of all that you do. Now, the word integrity comes from the idea of the Latin word integer. I anybody remember from the first grade? Hmm. Whole number integer as opposed to fractions, which were partlet, part of numbers. And we get the word integrity from the word integer meaning whole, that there ought to be no distance between what you believe and what you do. 
that it is all together and that people are able to determine what you believe by what you do. That is the Greek and Hebrew thought and that if you did something that you actually didn't believe, that you actually didn't believe. That's the way they thought. That if you did believe, you obviously did what you believed. But if you didn't believe, then you would show it by your actions. And if your actions began to belie what you believed, then you really didn't believe it in the first place. Now, that didn't mean that you had to be perfect. Because there were reparation methods in order to get you right if you made a mistake. But if you didn't do those reparations in order to make yourself right, then you didn't believe. Today, in Western thought, you could actually believe without living it. Oh, I believe Jesus is Lord. Well, why are you sleeping around? Because he's handsome. And I need a man. I need a man. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping he gets saved. I don't even know where to start. Except you need to repent. You need to repent of everything. Everything. You need to repent of the biblical ideas that you have are wrong. And you need to repent of the unbiblical ideas you have are wrong. Every one of them. You need to repent. You need to start over with a clean slate. No distance between what you believe and what you do. Whole. Whole. Psalm 15 verse 1 says it like this. Who may ascend until the hill of the Lord? Who may dwell in the mountain of God? He who walks with integrity. Who speaks truth in his heart. These are our concepts that are core to abiding with God. Now, most folk are just satisfied with visiting, going on vacation with God. No, 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 no. The operative term in, in Psalm 51 is dwelling, abiding in the presence of Almighty God. Do you live in such a way that God can give you the keys to his house? That's the way we ought to be. It's the way we ought to desire to be if we're not there. God, I want to dwell with you. I want to live with you in such a way that you never have to ask me to leave. You always want to be around me. You don't have to tolerate me. God, let me live in such communion where my actions actually look like what I believe every moment of my day and if there is some break between the two I hurry up and repent and get right so I can get back on track integrity worship ought to be everything that involves you I'm not saying you need to go into your workplace with your hands up raised singing a song that we just sang I'm talking about living in such a way that every area of your life makes sense biblically and translates to people who do not know how good God has been to you. Integrity. Integrity. We work really hard at that here. We're not the best at it. But every day, we work like it. We work like we want to be the best. We've got a scripture on our wall upstairs that's been... A mantra of mine. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 1. And he says, we're really proud of the way we've conducted ourselves. He said, in holiness and godly sincerity. Not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in this world. And especially towards you with our conscience being clean. We have that on our wall upstairs in our conference room. 
because I want everybody to live like that. Holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in this world and especially toward you. That's a job description in terms of moral conduct for us. Integrity. And then there are, there are other things that we can do in here that are expressive to our God, such as singing. Singing is part of the culture, part of the culture of the church, but we do it a little differently here than maybe you grew up in church. And in the church you grew up in, maybe it was like the one I grew up in. We will now sing How Great Thou Art, verses 1, 3, and 5 don't have any problem with that I, uh, worship God I just I, I've never been able to figure out why two and four were omitted though I, I don't know I don't know I really don't know not being critical I just don't know but you come here and we are we are diametrically opposite we sing verse one two one two one two chorus 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 one two one two one two chorus chorus we don't omit, we just keep adding. And you say, well, why, why do y'all keep saying the same verse? Oh, didn't you just say that verse? What's wrong with you? You, you did sit here? Wait no, 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 no. See, singing is simply elongated speech. That's all it is. So if I'm talking to you, and I choose to hold, and then add a little vibrato at the end, hold... Then it becomes a note when it was just a word. And the reason God wants singing to be a part of our worship experience is because singing becomes a mnemonic that allows us to memorize what we are saying faster and with greater clarity than if we just said it. That's why when you sing a song and now we've added notes that surround it with all kind of instrumentation and background singers and harmonies, now when we sing a song, you can walk out of here Singing that thing in your head, hardly able to get rid of it. But you can't remember Psalm 1 without a song. But you've read it a bunch of times. So singing allows us the process of meditating upon a concept in such a way that we no longer have to remember the grammar. It just comes naturally. That, That then allows us then to focus our attention only on God for what we're saying without thinking about it. Are you listening to me? And therefore, our soul can be completely engaged, bypassing the grammar that is in the brain. So God says, sing to me in Psalm 33, a new song. And we have an entire book called Psalms that is all about songs. Every one of them is a song. So we need to sing. And and with the words of our mouth, we we also need need to shout. Hmm. Psalm, uh, Psalm 34 <laughs> says, shout for joy to the Lord. Yes. Shout for joy. Now, that shout thing is, you know, it's a little, little shocking to most people. And I, I understand. People yelling loud things to God is somewhat disconcerting if you're sitting by them. And you're just thinking, ooh, I hope they don't fly or nothing. And, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I got that, but, but, but they're doing something biblically. I, I, was, I, I went to a, sem, uh, a Presbyterian seminary, for which I'm very grateful. And we had a discussion, a class on worship, and we talked about shouting. And in the Presbyterian idea of shouting, 
because there is room for a Hebrew concept that, that allows for shouting to be defined as that which comes from the soul that does not need to come out of the mouth. That you can actually shout from your heart. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I'm happy about that. Because when I, when, I, when I feel like God is blessing me in Walmart, I can shout from here. If I shout from here, they're going to carry me away. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. But the Presbyterian experience, they never shouted from here. You'll never hear anybody in the church shout from here in the Presbyterian church. It doesn't come out of the mouth. So I talked to my professor and I said, could, could you um, help me? Is there any other way that shouting is, is also legitimately represented? He said, well, not in our expression. I said, well, what about those folk that marched around Jericho? You know, the Israelites, seven days, and all of a sudden they had blow trumpets and then shout. Do you think anybody heard what they were saying? He said, yeah, yeah, they did. I said, just ask him. Because I want to make sure that I don't miss out on any part of a definition that could give God glory. So I want to incorporate it all. What, what does your worship look like? Is it a verb? Is it a verb? Do you shout? I mean, you know how to shout when the skins win. Woo! How about your hands? Psalm 47 verse, verse 1 says, clap your hands, all ye people. Now I looked up clapping. I'm not quite sure where it came from, and nobody does. They can't figure it out. The earliest recorded versions of clapping outside of the biblical account they, they were able to find was in Rome. And when Rome wanted to affirm somebody who had done something great, they actually snapped their fingers. That was their version of clapping. But if somebody did something really astounding, they'd make that hitting against the flesh louder by doing both hands. And so that's where they came up with it. But that's, that's the turn of the, the first millennia. David wrote Psalm 47 about 1,000 B.C., 1,000 years earlier. So it's entirely possible, though we do not know, that God is the one who said that clapping needed to start in terms of affirmation of what he has done. So it may be that congregationally, clapping was instituted as a primary form of worship. So we clap a lot. Clap a lot because God has done some good things for us. Yes, yes. God done good stuff for you? Yes. There you go. See? See? See how natural that was? Some of y'all never clapped to God ever. It just, had, came, it just came out of you, see? Once you get some explanation, then you understand why it's important to do it. You want to affirm that what he's done is good. Now you need to, to, to progress. Need to progress. Yeah, no, I know you don't know want to do that, except when you're really excited at a basketball game. Then your hands go up. But, but they don't work here very well. I got that. I got. But it's important that you understand why it's important to lift your hands. Universal sign of surrender. God, I'm yours today. I want you to know I'm yours. Last week we talked about, I want to be embraced by you, oh Lord. What does a two-year-old do when they want to be picked up? And Lord, I want to offer you something. That's why. It's not an emotional response. It's unthought. Great thought has been put behind this. Worship with our feet. David said, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. 
Obviously, you were too because you came this morning. Amen. Worship with your feet with respect to direction. Lord, I want you to, to make sure I don't go the wrong way with these things today. Yeah. I want to make sure I'm on your path today. Lord, help me to worship with my feet today and worship in the dance. Psalm 150, praise the Lord with the timbrel and the dance. And you say, well, that dancing thing in church, I'm not quite sure. I've seen some stuff. So have I. I've seen some stuff. Now, I don't mind. I dance up here. I enjoy it. I want, to move. I want my entire body to be involved in an expression of worship to my God. Now, if you dance in such a way that you're trying to show folk you can dance, that ain't going to work. Because you're moving in such a way that now people are looking at you and you're distracting everybody from the presence of the Lord. So we're not mad that you do that. But we, we will help you do it someplace else. We will escort you to a room where you can do it all by yourself. Go ahead. Now, you'll be offended with us. But we, we want to make sure that the atmosphere is, is pure enough and sensitive so that people are not distracted from, by you to God. Mm-mm, not going to happen. So, but there can, there's supposed to be some movement of feet with respect to worship of God. So some of y'all, you know, you ain't got no rhythm. I got that. But you can still move around in such a way that it's pleasing to God. These things allow us the privilege of expressing ourselves in ways that got every, pat, every concept I just gave you had a scripture. This is, this is what you get when you ask him. How would you like to be worshipped? Now, if you're like that four commercial back in the 80s and 90s who said they had a better idea, it's not better. You do it the way God has said and you will make him happy. Well, pastor, that's not my personality. Change it. Change it. It wasn't my personality either. Change it. God is changing you to where you can be what he wants you to be. Why do you want to reserve this one area for yourself? He's changing your character. He's changing your focus. He's changing your vision. Let him now begin to impact your expression to him. Don't reserve this for yourself. Don't put a lock on your own soul here. Say, Lord, don't touch this area. I'm not used to that. Give him the key. Let him unlock it. Watch what he'll do. You want him to show up? He's seeking these kind of worshipers. He's seeking them. Make his search short. Let's pray. Daddy, I love you. Thank you for what you're doing. There's nobody like you. Bless us to become a people who can worship you accurately.